All right. Now take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 has been this series that we've simply called Made Alive. And we've called it Made Alive because we were dead. Where? In our sins. The script, that's how chapter 2 opens. We were dead, we were enslaved, and we were deserving of God's wrath. But God was, check it out, gracious, merciful, loving, kind. So that dead people could come alive. Not according to their works, because dead people could never do works to bring them alive. He was merciful, love, great, loving, gracious, and kind, and allowing dead people to come alive by grace through faith. Through faith in, specifically, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he took the wrath that you and I deserved upon himself, a substitutionary death, so that if we would believe in him who did for us what we could not do for ourselves, we could go from death to life. And then chapter two continues, that being now made alive, we would be made alive for good works. That the work of God would be happening in us and through us, and we would be made alive for peace, that the hostility that is in our world relationally, humanly, would be satisfied and abolished by the cross, that he put to death hostility by being put to death. That's chapter two so far. It ends with this. We're going to look at the last few verses, and he's going to give us before we read them, three images of what we are like now that we are alive in Christ. And the scripture is very good at giving us images to help us understand. An example, Psalm 127 says, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So, what do warriors do with arrows? Yeah, they shoot them. So you get the point. Kids are to be shot. No, no, that's not the point. Yes, shot, but not shot. Shot, like launched by a warrior towards the enemy. See, if you capture that as a parent, that'll change your parenting dramatically. I am preparing them, sharpening them, shaping them for launching at an enemy. That's an image the scripture gives. My wife came up with her own, it's not in the Bible, but she said, if I ever write a book, I'm gonna write a book as a mom. My life inside a pinball machine. Because <laughs> with six kids, it was just like, bam, 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 bam. Head to bed, flipper, boom, 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 boom. Right? <laughs> My life inside. That's an image. Does that capture all of parenting? Of course not. An arrow cat. So images don't tell us everything, but they tell us some things very powerfully. So there's going to be three about now our life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then, watch for the images. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And are of God's household. Two of them there. Do you see them? 
Third, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So three images. First, in Christ, this is a great image. We are citizens of a new kingdom. We're citizens of a new kingdom. And he describes it in verse 19 as a kingdom of saints. We're in a, we didn't used to be in this kingdom. We were aliens and strangers, but now we are citizens. So what kingdom were we all born into? A kingdom of darkness and slavery and death. But in Christ Jesus, by mercy, grace, and love, and kindness through faith, we watch, we go from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, a kingdom of saints, where Jesus is king. So we live under the kingship, the rulership of Jesus as saints. Not because we're perfect, but because we have been made perfect. So, we were in a kingdom. We were transferred by grace through faith to a new kingdom. In this kingdom, Jesus rules and we live as saints. Is that kingdom coming or is that kingdom here now? Okay, it's both, yes. It is both coming and it is here and now. We are saints now. Jesus is king of the kingdom now. So, key question, because this is why I think this image exists here. What in the world are we doing on the planet if our kingdom has moved from a kingdom of darkness to a citizenship which is in heaven? Why are we still here? Scripture gives it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Before I finish, you understand an ambassador, yes? Ambassador is a citizen of one kingdom who resides in a different kingdom for the sake of representing the kingdom he's a citizenship. He's a citizen of, yes? They reside there with a purpose to represent their citizenship and their king. So why are we here? We are here as ambassadors for Christ. And this is so strong. As though God were making an appeal through us. We're the representatives, but it's God who is the one who is making the appeal. We beg you on behalf of Christ, by the power of God, get out of the old kingdom and join me in the new one. That's the image. We were aliens, strangers, We became part of a new kingdom of saints ruled by Jesus. 
by which now we are ambassadors. We live on the planet, which is no longer our home, but we stay here, residing here, temporary residence for the sake of being the instruments of God through which he makes an appeal. Join me. Be reconciled to God. That's the image. Now let me ask you a couple, maybe honest, hard questions. Are you visiting? Are you setting up shop? Like this is home. See, we're visiting, but it's easy to fall in love with where we're visiting. Are there any words, second question, any words coming out of your mouth that would represent, oh, you're an ambassador? It's not my responsibility or your responsibility for people to be saved. That is God's work. It is our responsibility as ambassadors to represent him and to speak it. Speak it. He's the one that has to take words and use those words to bring death to life. But we're the ambassador. And it's really easy, really, really easy to settle in and shut up. Instead of stay on purpose and speak up. Lord, speaking to you in any way right now? of how maybe you're settling in, that this is, man, I, I forget I'm just visiting. I don't really forget, but I just kind of lose my way. And in not wanting to be the obnoxious Christian, I've become the silent, never speak the gospel person. It's not why we're here. We're ambassadors Made saints, not because we're perfect, but we're made holy to represent the new king, our king, to invite other people to join the kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment of prayer, not because we're finished. You might be thinking, wow, shortest sermon ever. (laughs) There's two more images coming, but I don't want to try and stack them up and then respond bond to the Lord at the end. I think, I am certain that in unique ways, the Lord's challenging you with this whole concept of being an ambassador, not settling, not settling in and not shutting up. So bow with me, give you a, a quiet moment to respond to the Lord as he has maybe just maybe brought conviction or encouragement, let's respond to the Lord. Now let me lead us and And you agree as this rings true in your own heart. 
Lord, we confess that sometimes we fall in love with this place and what this place has to offer. We confess that our fears sometimes call us, cause us to, to be silent. Sometimes we're distracted. So, Lord, thank you for this reminder. Maybe you just want to say to the Lord, Lord, thanks for the reminder. I needed this already this morning. And so we present ourselves to you fresh again this morning as ambassadors residing on the streets where we reside, not to set up forever, but to visit as ambassadors. Present our bodies to you. Present our fears to you. And Lord, we ask that as you have been gracious in our lives, to rescue us from darkness and make us part of your kingdom. Lord, would you use us in the coming weeks, the coming month, through power-up clubs, through power surge on Sunday, through blessed parties next weekend. Lord, would you use us for more people finding life in Jesus? We'll give you the praise because we'll know it's been your work. Thanks for the privilege of being co-laborers in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Second image. Back to verse 19. Your fellow citizens with the saints, that's what we looked at. New image. And are of God's household. Is that different? Yeah, there's citizens in a kingdom, and then there are children in a house, in a household. So he changes very quickly from a kingdom mentality to a family mentality and says, in Christ, not only citizens of a new kingdom, in Christ we are children of a new household. Whose household is it? It's God's household, which makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are like a jillion different implications for the fact that if we are in Christ, we're brothers and sisters. But I'm going to pick two. First, the fact that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus says this should be true for the children of a new household. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, just hours before he is arrested. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Three times. What's the action that will define us as Christ followers? Love. Specifically towards whom? One another. What should be profoundly 
evident to anyone who interacts with people who have moved from sons of disobedience to a new household, the household of God, is the profound, active care, love, help, sharing, encouragement that we give towards one another. We are, as children of a new household, a family that look out for one another, not only, but first. We look out for one another first. You see, (laughs) all right, church, listen. In our day, church is so much defined by the gathering that happens on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night, the big group gathering. That's not the way Jesus said the church should be defined. The church isn't defined by its gathering. That's an important part. The church is defined by its relationship with one another. And so, I don't know how I'll tell it to you, but this clearly, it's not good enough to just show up for a gathering. That's not what we've been saved for. That's not why we're part of the family of God. He intends that we would be relationally connected. That we would care for one another and be cared for by one another. It means we can't stay on the fringe. We can't be the household of God as he intends by walking in to a big service and walking out and never engaging relationally. It's why we do family groups. To have a, a context where there would be a setting for caring for one another. As bottom line, we're just not going to be able to do it when there's hundreds of us. Within the hundreds, there has to be the 10, the 12. Where there's love for one another. That's the picture, the household of God. I want to encourage you, challenge you. Do you have that place? where you are defined as a follower of Jesus because of the way you are involved in other people's lives and helping them, caring for them, sharing life together. That's that's what it's intended to be as family. Ten years ago, maybe less, we made a decision to not build a huge building. And you're all happy because that meant we weren't going to ask you for huge amounts of money. <laughs> and it, it was like a $17 million deal. And as elders, we ultimately stepped away and said, no. Stewardship problem for us, not saying it's wrong to do it, stewardship problem for us, and pushing toward a relationship 
gathering that's opposite of what the church intended us to be. So I'm thrilled that we have smaller auditoriums, more services. Because it allows for us to at least continue to stay. We're a family. Single, married, kids, no kids. We're a family of faith. God is our father. We are brothers and sisters. We care for one another. Everybody, quite frankly, can't care for everybody else, right? It's just can't. But finding and engaging 10, 12, 14, whatever, and loving one another first, not only, but the scripture says, honor all people, love the brotherhood. If you knew that, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. There is a unique relationship that we have as followers of Jesus that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ where we care for one another. That's the first. There's also an amazing gift that we have as children of God that I think we often squander. And I want to bring it back to us this morning. Jesus says to his followers, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Right? No problem, right? Nobody in here ever worries. You're a child of God. You don't have anything to worry about. True, except we do. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yeah, that's part of our residence, but that's not our home. It's not our citizenship. But, but here's why we don't have to worry. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, don't miss that, this is a promise for those who have become part of the family of God by grace through faith in Christ. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Important question, are you not worth much more than they? Are you? Are you more valuable to God than birds? Are you reluctant to say that? Don't be reluctant to say that. That's not a shot on birds. It's just a reality. God says, when it comes to what I've created, I've created humanity in my image because I value them more than birds. He values you more than your dog. Now, email me about that one. Matt C at ChristianFamilyChapel.com. <laughs> Does he value more than your dog? Yeah, I'm not down on dogs. Well, maybe a little, personally. But not your neurodoc. My point is this. He says this because we are invited to live with a profound reality that because God values us to the extent that he said, I didn't withhold my son I didn't withhold my son for you. 
why in the world would you ever worry about my sovereign role, my personal care in your life? The invitation, the application that we are children of a new household is that we genuinely have no reason to worry. Doesn't mean we don't. But here is, here is what I continually seek to remind myself. Doug, when you are worried, it is irrational. It doesn't line up with who your heavenly father is. It doesn't make any sense. And so, are you worried about something? Sure. You probably, lots of them probably are, Honestly. And now you're like, now you're making me feel guilty about worrying. Now I'm like doubly guilty. Now I'm inviting you. You don't have to worry. It's normal to worry. But we're not normal. We're children of a heavenly father who have the reminder every moment of every day that the cross declares he could not love you more. He could not care for you more. He will not withhold any good thing from you. And so when we do worry, what do we do? Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Does that work? No, that doesn't work. What do we do? Be anxious for nothing. Well, that's not happening. So what do I do? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I know you may go, yeah, I know that verse. It didn't work. You ever prayed and then you were still worried at the end of your prayer? Yeah, all of us have been there. And we go, ah, it didn't work. I thought that worked. Maybe that just works sometimes for some people. I prayed and I'm still worried. So what do I do with that? Lord, <laughs> I'm still worried. And you said the antidote, the cure for worry is pray. So I'm going to pray some more. Worry, worry is simply one of the ways in which God has a, on your dashboard, pray. Red light starts, pray, 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 pray. It's, it's blinking at you. When you worry, it's a blinking, pray. Well, and here's the easiest way. I, I know that... Well, there's other acronyms. The best for me is pray. Praise, repent, ask, yield. Pray. Praise. Because you know what happens when we start praying? When we start it with praise? God starts to return in our thinking to the size he really is. We are worried because we have made little things small and big things. We have made little things big and big things, God, small. That's why we're worried. But if we would take time to begin to praise, little things would return to size. And big things, God, would return to size. So start with praise. Sometimes we're better at asking than we are praising. That's what I noticed recently about 
our prayer time and staff. And so we set a rule, no more asking before praise. And you say, wow, you have a rule for praying? Yes, we have a rule for praying. No more asking until you've praised. Tracy Johnson, our director of communications, if you walk to her office, I love it. It says, let's talk, but first, let's praise. Why? Because praise lifts our eyes under the hills where our help comes from. Praise lifts up. God, thank you for the cross. Wow, the cross. Wow, you really do love me. Wow, the cross. You took my sin. My guilt is gone. You've proven you love me perfectly. See, as I begin to praise and declare those things, it's amazing the things that are little in my life that have grown really big begin to be right-sized in view of God. Praise, repent. Lord, I've made little big and big little. I repent. I change my mind. I'm worrying when you love me perfectly. Change my mind. I give you praise. You repent. And then you ask. What do you ask? (laughs) Well, if you need a job, you ask for a job. You need help, you ask for help. You need healing, you ask for healing. Just ask, and I don't mean this flippantly, but ask for what it is where you feel like you lack. And then yield, meaning, Lord, whatever you choose, I submit to your wisdom will and why? Why? Because you could love me more. You value me most. You've demonstrated it on the cross. You haven't forgotten me. You're not ignoring me. You're not against me. Those are all the things that we praise, repent, ask, yield. If your heart is still anxious, keep praising. If your heart is still anxious, start singing. Really, start singing. I was up in South Carolina last week. This guy, uh, I was helping with power-up clubs uh, up in Florence where my son's a youth pastor. He's teaching the teams, and the guy was fixing breakfast every morning, and he's just like joy-filled guy. And I was like, so tell me, tell me about your day because you're here early, and you're like alive. And he's going, oh, I get up every morning like at, 5 o'clock, spend my time reading my Bible, and then I go outside and I sing. And I said, ah, so you live in the country. He said, oh, no, I have houses less than 10 feet from me. I live downtown Florence. I said, you sing that early in the morning? You're not concerned about the neighbors? He said this, I determined that they weren't concerned about me when they came from from the bars at 2 a.m. I didn't need to be concerned about them at 6 a.m. I thought, oh, okay, I can work with that. It was like, yeah, they're not quiet for me, and I'm actually bringing good. So I go outside and I sing, and his wife was standing there, and she was like, ugh. Sometimes we need to sing. Like, sing. With, like, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. 
That might be a song that you'd sing a hundred times, literally this week, in response to worry. You see what I'm saying? This is real. Be anxious for nothing. That's the gift for those who are in God's household. Final image. Having been built. So now we're going to move from a household to a building, but a specific type of building. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into what type of building? A holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a Oh, Mrs., a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, citizens of a new kingdom, children in a new house, and components of a new temple. See, it's not just any building, it's the temple, because the temple is the, write this right beside it, I see you're writing, the temple is the dwelling place of God and therefore that's the place where worship is to take place people went to the temple to worship because that's where the presence of God was so he is building a new temple where he dwells and that new temple is not a building it's a It's a body that this is now the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in me. I don't go to a place. He has come to a person. That's why you can worship driving to work. Because this is the temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and therefore, not my own. This doesn't belong to me. We can think about this building. This is the Lord's. I mean, maybe this is where you growing up, it was like, no running in church. This is God's house. Well, that's hard because I like to run around. This is God's house. The Spirit of God, what difference does that make? You know why he told them this in Corinthians? Because he had just said this, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And he simply says this. This is a good word for our day where sexual sin is so prevalent. Believer, The spirit of God lives in you. And when you engage in immorality sexually, you are bringing the presence of God into your sin. He says it this starkly. When you go to a prostitute, which was normal in Corinth, when you go to a prostitute, You're hooking up Jesus and a prostitute. And that ought to make us, like, throw up. That's the power. 
one of the points of the power that Christ lives in me. When I expose myself to sexual sin, which is a lot more than prostitution as it was in that day. I'm bringing the presence of God into that. He's saying, flee from it because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that temple is to be, it said, holy, set apart, the Lord's. It's a call, church, to live holy lives. Not because that makes us more pleasing to God, to live holy lives because of who we are. We're his dwelling place. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, he's going, in one verse, he's going, you're a kingdom, you're a household, you're ambassadors, you're holy. He's putting all the images together. We're the dwelling place of God. We're to be holy, but watch. The new temple is not only the body of the believer, it is the body of believers. We corporately, and not just we corporately as a local church, but we corporately as all the local churches to the ends of the earth, we are the dwelling place of God. We are the new temple. Not just this, and not just this, but every body of believers that gathers for worship this week, whether it's 10,000 people or 10 people in an underground church, that's the new temple. That's a big temple when it goes to the ends of the earth. It's a temple, the dwelling place of God where there is every ethnicity, every language, We are the temple individually. We are the temple corporately. Of that, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together. You know, there's something very personal, intimate about this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's something far more complete that this is the temple. You see what I'm saying? We are a more complete reflection of who God is together than we are individually. So it's the body of the believer and it's the body of believers. And clearly it said Jesus in this building is the cornerstone. This is not... You don't have to be brilliant to understand cornerstone of the building. Just think of it this way. Who is he in the image of the body? Jesus is the, he's the head. Who is he in the image of the kingdom? He's the king. He's the head of the body, the king of the kingdom, and of the building, he's the cornerstone. Same idea. The most important part. 
upon which everything else flows. King, kingdom, head, body, cornerstone, building. And the having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The, apostles, the prophets and the apostles, they laid the foundation. Meaning they were the ones that God sovereignly used to him being the cornerstone. Their work, their role was foundational in laying the foundation upon this new temple being built as they were God's instruments for proclaiming in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, life in Jesus. So we're part of a building that has its foundation back to Acts chapter two. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. The new temple is growing when each fitted part does its part. I'm never, CFC, I'm never gonna get tired of telling us this. The temple, the Holy Spirit, individually, corporately, is intended that each individual person has a particular gifting made by God, for God, for the building up of the temple of God. And every part of the building matters. What a horrible picture we've all seen in the last few days down in Miami. Probably, who knows, but probably an unseen failure. And sometimes in the church, we think it's the scene that really matters most. Every part matters. And he always, Paul always connects fitted and growing. He says it here, chapter two, the whole building being fitted together, foundation, floors, studs, ceilings, Roofs, shingles, all fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Two chapters later, the whole body, different image, exact same point. Watch, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. Do you get it? Growing the temple that we have been made a part of is necessary. Every part doing their God-given fitted parts. So I'm going to call you again as each one of you has received a gift and you have. Employ it in serving one another for the building up of the body in love. Take a moment and bow with me. If you're worried about something, praise the Lord. Speak to him 
three things about his greatness in your own heart right now. Repent. Change your mind about little things being big or that he doesn't care or that he doesn't see. Ask him to help whatever way you need help. Ask him. And now yield. Lord, whatever you choose, however you work, I trust your wisdom, will, and way. And thank him for pouring his spirit into your hearts now. Thank him for making you his dwelling place. Where there's a lack of holiness, would you confess it in this moment? And would you present your body now as his dwelling place according to the way God has gifted you? Would you say, Lord, would you use me to build your building? I want to play my part. Lord, I want to play my part because when every part plays its part, there is joy in the house of the Lord. And Lord, we want you to be fully glorified, knowing that when you are glorified, our joy will be full. So we give ourselves to you as your saints, as your children, and as your dwelling place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand together and, and let's declare with great joy, there's joy in the house, this house, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We'll shout out
house of the Lord. He is with us. And as we go, let's remember, no matter what situation we're in, we can have joy. And wherever we go, we are not going to be silent. We're going to speak his praise, speak of him, and let him do the work. You guys have a great day. Thanks for being here. See you next time.